Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. In this episode, I'm joined by Peter Vermees, the manager and sporting director of Sporting Kansas City, which has reached the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals against Monterey. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Onward! Our guest today is Peter Vermees, the manager and sporting director for Sporting Kansas City, which is the only MLS team left in the CONCACAF Champions League, with the showdown coming against Mexican power Monterey in the semifinals. Peter, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Lots to talk about, but let's start with Champions League. Uh, congratulations on reaching the semis. Uh, your run included a 5 nothing two-leg win over Mexico's Toluca in the quarterfinals. You told ESPN's Hercules Gomez recently that you did some special preparations for the Toluca matchup that included a special dispensation from the MLS Players Union and even hyperbaric chambers to deal with altitude. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, so um, in December when they had the draw and we found out we were getting to Luca, we were first, uh, you know, a little taken back because we we, we didn't expect to get a, a Mexican team in the first round, but and also being Toluca and the fact that they are in altitude created a much bigger challenge because obviously we we would not have had played a competitive game yet, uh, you know, in a competition. Um, so they would be our first competition of the year. Um, so now we're not 90 minutes fit for game for a game. And then to add on to it, we, uh, would struggle with the, the second leg, which would be at their place and it would be an altitude. So we had to, we had to be a little bit more creative than probably in other years. Um, and so we got to work on it pretty quickly. And first thing we did in, in both the MLS and also the players union were very helpful. They allowed us to start a week earlier, um, which they've never done in the past, um, it's always been just a decision based on uh, uh, especially the players union. And so the players union was very accommodating, understood that, you know, it's also a safety of the players. How are we going to play in matches if we're not even physically fit right yet to play? So um, anyway, we got that accomplished first. That was the first goal. The second goal was how we were going to deal with um, obviously just being fit for um, the first game. And so we took a different approach this time around um, and we, we basically started um, our first game was we just played a 30 minute game. But what we did was we trained two teams the whole time. We played with two different teams and there wasn't a first or a second. It was just, we're going to get you know 22 players 
fit to play 90 minutes by the end of preseason. That was the first piece. Um, we always have uh, three phases to our preseason. Our first phase is, is usually two and a half weeks long, and then we have uh, a, a four or five-day break back in Kansas City for all the guys to see their family. And then the second phase is kind of very similar. And so what we did, um, coming back from the from the first phase, we went back to Arizona. We had done some research in a company called Hypoxia, yeah, and basically what they do is, is they, um, the great thing is, is they've, they've obviously advanced in their technology. It used to be, they used to put a tent all the way around your whole entire mattress, your bed, everything. And you would sleep inside that. Um, and it would simulate being at a certain altitude. Well, the great thing is, is that, well, the first thing is that that was tough because it would take a long time for that tent to fill up and then get to the altitude that it needed to. So they came up with a much better version, and that version was is that it's a, it's basically a, gosh, uh, I would say it's almost like a three by three cube that basically it, it it rests over your basically from your your chest up, and it, it has like a, a a drape in the front that is weighted on the end so that it 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 encompasses your body if you will you know and and. So the great thing is, is that we started at 5,000 feet um, and the guys were sleeping at eight hours a night. Um, so the first night's 5,000 5, and we did increments each night of 500 feet. And we got to 11,400 by the time we played the Toluca game. And then and then the week prior to, we went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we trained in you know, somewhere around 53, 5,400 feet to just use a week of now training and then also sleeping and you may or not, may not know, but uh, Toluca is like about 8,800 feet. And that was oh, not, yeah. it was not easy. It was not easy. I will say this. <clears throat> it, didn't, it didn't completely acclimate us for that uh, altitude. But what it did was, I believe it took the shock and awe out of the guys where they would be incredibly surprised if we would have done nothing. I think we would have really suffered in the game. And we actually um, got a little fortunate. In the 60th minute, they got a man thrown out. But we, we, uh, we played a smart game game there and we didn't expend as much energy as we thought we would have okay so two questions out of what you just said which is all very interesting to me one how expensive is this the hyperbaric chamber stuff and what did you did you have to promise anything to the players union to get them to agree to what they agreed to well i'll answer the the last one first no we didn't have to promise anything i think that they understand that over the last so many years as our clubs have been entering Champions League, it, it really puts teams at a disadvantage. You know, first, uh, safety of the players, because you want to make sure that they're they're physically fit enough to be able to play. And then the second is, is that we're doing ourselves an uh, injustice on, on the competition side because we're not, we're not prepared uh, as well as we could be if we were to start a little bit earlier and get our guys fitter. And I think those two things go hand in hand. And so they were very uh, accommodating and, and understood that aspect. Um, the, the, the second question, um, it's, it's, it's tens of thousands of dollars. Let's put it that way. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's expensive. Um, but you know, I went to, I went to our ownership group, uh, in December as well, when kind of came up with this plan pretty quickly and, and sat down with them and just said, Hey, look, if we're going to give ourselves the best chance, uh, to move on, um, we, if we're going to do that, we have to beat the first opponent to beat the first opponent these are the challenges. And I laid it out to them and they said, what's the solution? And I said, well, this is the best solution that we've been able to come up with and this is what it's going to cost. And uh, they approved it on the spot, which was fantastic because it shows, it shows their commitment not only to 
you know, our club, but also to winning. And that's what uh, our club has always, uh, it's been our mantra that, you know, we want to be a club that's always going to try and win. And, and whenever we go into any competition and they support that, um, and it, this is another way they should supported it. So when you look at Monterey in the semis, your team will not be the favorite. How are you preparing for that matchup? Yeah, the great, in, in one way, one of the great things is, is that, um, you know, this upcoming weekend we have a bye. And so we, we've been playing basically every uh, weekend and midweek um, since the beginning, you know, since before the season even started. And so we needed this break. Uh, although a few of our guys went away to the, their national teams, the majority of our team is, is, is getting a break, which they need. And one's physical and the other's mental. And so uh, what, we're, what we're doing is, is that we have a short week this week which is just working on a few things and trying to maintain our, our fitness, which we think is actually very good at the time, and, and also recovering some little nagging injuries from some of the guys. And then we have a big preparation week going into uh, um, the next week because we play Montreal on the weekend. And then five days later, uh, we'll play Monterey. And so our objective is, is to kind of do a uh, – it's kind of twofold. We're preparing two teams again um, to be able to participate in, in – both competitions as we move forward. Um, that's one. Uh, the other is, is that we have been managing the minutes of players for, you know, since the beginning of the season. And, and we're just making sure that when we get to the Monterey game, that we have the ability to, to put a team out on the field that not only can get the result, but also physically um, can handle uh, what that uh, game is going to to uh, uh, you know, challenge us with, and it's going to be a big challenge because they are a very good team. Now, we all know that no MLS team has won CONCACAF Champions League in the 10 years since it moved to a league format. Mexican teams have won all 10 of those titles. What do you think it will take to have MLS teams winning this title, not just once, but maybe even on a fairly regular basis? I think it's a combination of things. I think we're already... We're already uh, we're already on the path. Uh, I, I, I've been um, someone who has been very complimentary of the injection of TAM and then also discretionary TAM. I think those those new mechanisms for acquiring players uh, and players that are of a higher quality um, that we have had in our league over the years has been a, a huge um, help to improving the product on the field. Um, and, it's, and it's not... It's not necessarily, you know, the guy that's making the five and seven million dollars a year. It's it's the guys that are in that TAM region, right? Anywhere from you know, I want to say six hundred thousand, or you can even say five hundred to to one point five million, because there's a lot of very good players in and around the world that uh, you know really bring quality to your team um, at at that level of compensation. And I use that compensation because look, I. Sporting Kansas City or Major League Soccer didn't create the marketplace. The marketplace that we have to deal in is worldwide. And so to be able to acquire players of, of really good quality, that's uh, right now that's where they kind of fall in. Um, as you know, the, 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 the sport of soccer around the world um, is, is, uh, is, a, is a really, really difficult area to, to maneuver when you talk about the financial um, aspects because of transfer fees and and this compensation and salary. And so um, it's, it's not the easiest of, of areas to, to acquire players. And I think that TAM and, and discretionary TAM has, 
has given us a, a much better opportunity to do that. And I would say that we have to keep moving in that direction. Um, and I also think the last thing is that we have to increase the the size of our senior rosters. Currently, our senior roster today is 20. And I think that if we increase the size of our roster on our senior side, what it will do is it will give us the opportunity of one to compete and and you know possibly win uh, Champions League. But the other is to maintain your, your competitiveness within the regular season as well. And that has to be a goal because you, you, you shouldn't have to sacrifice one for the other. Peter, it seems like your team has undergone something of a transformation in recent years from, from a high-pressing team into a, into a more possession-based team. Do you agree with that? How would that process go? I sort of do. Um, we're probably we're, we're not as high pressing as we used to. I I thought that back when we kind of and, and we were the team that you know really were the ones who embarked on that first, and it was more around the 2011, 2012, and then 13 is where it really obviously um, we got the big reward with winning MLS Cup that year. Is I believe at that time you could really press um, and, and you could get a lot of results from it. Um, you know. And I don't mean this uh, disrespectfully, but our league was different then. We don't have the same quality we have we have now in our league. And so when teams press now, um, you have better players to be able to find solutions and and be able to break through that and and actually um, look for the places where the other team now has left themselves extremely vulnerable. Um, and so it was it, it's been the our evolution that. First off, when you look at the amount of travel we have and you look at the climate that, climates that we play in over the course of the year, keeping the ball can really be your friend. Um, and so, but possession cannot be, uh, cannot stand on its own. You have to have a purpose in your possession. And again, I just think that some of the quality players that we've added over the last couple of years have really, really helped us in having a much uh, clearer picture and uh, purpose of of why possession is important to us, and that is ultimately it's to create great chances on goal. And I think that when you look at last year, we you know we scored the most goals ever in our club's history. I really think it has to do with two things. One is I think our possession has gotten better. I think that we've added quality players in the final third that have better solutions um, when you're able able to keep possession like we do and when you combine those two things together i just think it, it added up to uh you know the best best season ever in the number of goals that we scored i've always found it interesting you're in charge of everything on the soccer side for your club you're the manager and the sporting director the trend in modern soccer whether it's in europe or the u.s or wherever is to have a head coach in charge of the first team and someone else as a sporting director or technical director in charge of a long-term strategy the idea being that a first team coach has enough to worry about with that job alone you're obviously an exception to that who's had success can you make the case why it's better to have one person with complete control of the technical side I don't, I don't know if it's better. I can only speak to what the situation I'm currently in is that um, because I started out in the league as a technical director, um, I obviously got some great experience in understanding the the player mechanisms within the league and the business side of the technical side. And so that was obviously um, a great learning experience for me. Um, then becoming the interim coach and then finally the coach, um, 
what I always knew that I kind of wanted to, well, I always knew when I wanted to be a coach someday, it just didn't trend that way when I first came into the league. And so I was kind of, I don't know what you want to say. I was, I was, I was happy to be doing a technical director job when the opportunity came. I wasn't sure if I was going to coach at first, but then, um, at the end of the season, we talked as a, uh, with my ownership and we decided that we were going to stay the course and, and go this way. And I think one of the reasons maybe it works for me now is that I started out being the technical director first, and then I became the coach and I kind of added to it. If I had to do both right away, it might've been really, really difficult for me. Um, just because of all the things that we had to also do, um, outside of building a team, we were building a, a training facility, then we were building a stadium, and then we were building a new training facility. And um, not having those experiences prior to probably would have made it really difficult. The other thing is, is that I, you know, I, I think if I have one really good quality is I have always been open to hiring high quality people around me. Um, and I think that the staff that we've assembled is is incredible. And it's also been very consistent over the years as well. We don't have a lot of turnover. That's not to say that people don't have opportunities or if they want to move on, that we're not incredibly supportive of that. We absolutely are. But I also think that our staff views um, our situation as a really good one, one that they enjoy coming every day to, uh, um, uh, you know, do their profession, if you will, and they they enjoy it. So we don't have a lot of turnover. And I think that also helps. And the last piece is, is that, you know, I, I think I have the quality of not only a lot of times a head coach is a is a next game guy and, you know, the sporting director is the one, three, five, ten years down the road. And I think I have both those qualities. And I and I think it actually helps me a lot because um, it's, it's the same person. And I'm not always trying to try to convince someone else that, hey, we need this player or we should add another academy team or, you know, I'm not always trying to convince somebody. I, I, I have the ability to talk with my staff um, and ultimately I can make the decision. But, you know, you also have to realize that it, that didn't happen overnight. It's taken a lot of years to build up that trust also with my ownership group. And also, yeah, the, you know, part of trust is also showing some 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 times where you have some successes and those other things then give you, uh, if you will, more autonomy um, and also just more trust from from, you know, the people that at the end of the day um, you work for. And I like to think that, uh, you know, I have their trust today. And, and obviously we have a lot of work to do, but, you know, we continue to push forward and, and try to continue to do better with the club each year. Paul Tenorio wrote a terrific story on you in The Athletic last year. And I came away from that knowing that your stamp is very much on every tiny day-to-day detail of your organization. In terms of your background, where does that sort of exacting attention to detail come from? Ever since I've been a little kid, um, I've always been really meticulous about everything um, that I've always done, whether it's folding my clothes or, um, you know, the way that um, uh, I, I look at um, a, a, a challenge. An example would be when I was, I remember when I first, my first year at, at, at Kansas City, um, uh, was it was 2000 and we were we were actually having a really good year you know and back then you know staffs weren't put together like they are now you had all kinds of different things and as today all teams have what you would call team administrators that take care of all the 
travel and, and all the logistics um, that you have on the road for the team. We didn't have those things back. We didn't have those people back then. And so a lot of times I fell to whether it be a, a, an equipment manager, trainer, a, a, an assistant coach or what have you. A lot of that work was done by somebody in the office. And then when you go on the road, again, one of those other people, the, the equipment manager, the trainer, the assistant coach, they took on that responsibility. And I never forget, we went to LA to play the Galaxy and uh, we arrive and you know we're getting our bags and there's no bus. And we waited at the we waited at the airport for an hour and a half for a bus to come. And I remember that, you know, I look, I was a player and uh, as players, we don't have a lot to think about. Right. When you're a player, because you're I, I still think it's the greatest profession on uh, in the, uh, you know, on earth um, to be a professional soccer player. So at any rate, so I had a lot of time on my hands and like everybody else. And we were complaining and whatever. So when I got back to the to the room, um, I took that note paper that usually is on the nightstand with the pen and I and I wrote down um what I think the steps would be so that would never happen with the team if I was ever in charge and so it's little things like that that have always interested me all the coaches I've ever played for I've always written down all the training sessions that um you know I found were um they were valuable um because they got the point across or they prepared the team a certain way for that week's training. And I've always done that. And it's just been something that's been inside of me. And I also think that um, in this business, soccer coaches anymore cannot just be guys that are on the field that are laying cones and putting a training session together. You also have to have administrative qualities if you want to be successful. If you don't take the time to understand the way the the league works. If you don't take the time to understand the player mechanisms, I think what you do is you also, uh, you, you, re- you're now relying on others and, and you're hoping that they're doing their job to their best ability. I think you have to try to become as well-rounded as you possibly can with knowing still that your focus is on the team. And so for me, uh, um, you know, I, I, I guess say again, I think that over the years, um, I've been able to evolve in the position. We've we've built out our staff, which has, you know, I- incorporated a lot of different people, and so it allows me to still have a a really good vision on the club. But there's a lot of really good quality people that I work with every day that do a tremendous job, and it's one of the reasons why we continue to stay at least competitive in the things that we're participating in. Peter, Kansas City remains unique in MLS. It's the only original club and city to go from being a soccer dead zone, which is what which is what it was, to a soccer hotbed. Why do you think Kansas City has been the only MLS original team so far to achieve that? I don't know why we're the only what I would say is the for me the the case study is is extremely interesting um, because it, it a lot has to do with timing. Um, you get an ownership group that buys a team that are from Kansas City. That that's a, a really important pillar to to the strength of the organization. Number one, number two, um, we embark on building our own stadium. Being a stepchild in anyone else's stadium always makes you feel like you're a guest there and it never makes it feel like it's home. So no matter how accommodating um, the hunts were uh, and Arrowhead was for us to play and I, the, the size and all those other things, they, they have, they have an impact, but still the fact that it was in our stadium 
was was a real negative. The other piece is is that um, the rebrand, and and the rebrand is one thing. You know, to have a, a new logo, oh wow, great! But it was the ideas behind it, what the rebrand meant, because as you know, uh, in any in any sports organization, when when they have a history within that history, there's going to be good moments and there's going to be bad moments. There's going to be uh, uh, great relationships created and then also um, bad relationships that have, have been created. And so the rebrand was as much as it was to give a new face and a new look to the club. It was also to have a, a completely different attitude and mentality within the community. And so, and, and and that wasn't just the staff. That was also the players that were going to play for the club. That they had to – it was for them to also have an incredible presence within the community. And we were going to be very strategic mm-hmm. about how that was um, going to be laid out. And so then the final piece is and, – and I don't think that you can, you can do any of this without this. And that is it was also creating a, a style of play that the fans were going to appreciate – week in and week out, and that was the reason why they were going to show up. Um, there have been, and you've been to our stadium many a times, and you know that after each game we have a party um, in our field club. And it's it's whether we win, lose, or draw. And we always have the party there. Um, we all show up, and we all show up whether we win, lose, or draw. It's an obligation. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that... Um, we have to do because um, we can't only show up when we win. We also have to face the music when we lose. And the great thing is, is and, and this is the thing that I probably have appreciated the most, is that when you go in after a tie or a loss, I always get the same comment from the people. Um, and that is, they always appreciate that our players, they fight till the very end. They don't give up. And when you can impress your fan base um, with that mentality week in and week out, it then creates, um, it's, it's not a fan base anymore. It's a relationship with your club. And I think that's why we've been able to change the culture in Kansas city when it comes to soccer. It's because of all those little pieces um, and they all came at the right time. And, and, uh, We've continued to try to push the envelope and we have not been complacent about our um, duty and responsibility um, to those things on an everyday basis. I always have to ask you about the U.S. men's national team, in part because I know how much you care about the U.S. men's national team. Um, When it came to the open job last year, the sense was that you did not get it because U.S. soccer didn't want to give you the amount of control that you would like. Do you think U.S. soccer will ever be in a position again to do that? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, I, I'm sure there's many reasons why they went the way they did. But I, what, I, what I would say is, is that um, I, having watched the first uh, couple games by the U.S. team, I was at the uh, game in Arizona live. Um, I think uh, Greg and his staff are doing a great, great job. You can see... There, just in the first game alone, um, the ideas in the game for the team to play 
with a, a, a model of play, with all the players understanding their roles and responsibilities within the game, the players understanding that the shirt that they're wearing, um, responsibility comes with it. Um, it is you're playing for the United States, and there is something special about that. And it's not just a – it's not a status. It's not a, uh, a, a money grab. It is the the – responsibility of playing for your country. And you can see that already instilled back into the team. And as a former player, uh, um, and I continue, and listen, I sat, as you know, I also sat on the board of directors for us soccer for many years. Um, and then being a fan, it, it is great to see that that is, is being restored. And I think Greg and his staff are doing a great job. So, um, I told Greg that I am 100% supportive of, of, uh, what he's doing and what, and if there's anything that he needs from, from myself or sporting Kansas city, um, and there's any way that we can help him that, uh, we are here to try and come up with solutions and, and ways to assist them to be as successful as they can be. Because I think that is most important for the game. Um, I'm happy at where I'm at and what I'm doing. And if, and if Greg can take this, uh, um, national team to different heights than it's ever achieved, um, then I am 100% supportive of that because that's what we need for to continue to grow the game of soccer in this country. How long could you see yourself in Kansas City? It's a good question. I don't, I don't necessarily know if I think about it. Right now, I have a deal for another five years. Um, I, I really enjoy the everyday um, challenge that we have. I, I enjoy the... Um, you know, we just finished a you know a ninety million dollar training facility, and I um, in preseason I always uh, meet with Cliff Illig, our our majority share owner, and he asked me, which was very interesting. He said, "Now that we've gotten that you get, you know you feeling comfortable in the training facility because we were in there for it was our first year this past year," and he said, "How are you feeling comfortable?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "I think we're." just about there getting it to where, you know, we think all the processes and everything in, within the facility need to be. And so, um, he said, so, so what's next? And I said, what do you mean? What's next? And he said, well, what's next? What do we, what do we need to do next? And you know, that, that, that is a great feeling when you're, you know, the man in charge, right. Is, is, is asking others within the organization what's next because he also doesn't want to sit idly by and just uh, now all of a sudden say, okay, we've done this, this, and this, and let, let's just see how it all plays out. Constantly trying to be better than we were a year ago. And uh, I, I love that. I love that every year. I love thinking that way. Um, it's a challenge for me all the time. I'm one of these guys that doesn't necessarily believe that grass is greener on the other side. You know, I think our grass is really green and I like the way it's going. So, um, I'm going to keep doing it as, as long as I, I feel the excitement and the challenge of, of uh, what I feel right now. And uh, I still know we have a lot to do. Um, you know, we're bringing – we put a lot of investment into our pro pathway with our academy and our USL team. And uh, we're starting to bear some of that fruit with some of the young kids coming through. And uh, I just know that, you know, if I – if I do leave one day, I just want to make sure that I leave it in a, in a much better place than it was before. And more importantly, that we find the right successor that will continue on the project because it is a big one. 
and it has a lot of responsibility to it. Peter Vermees, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Peter Vermees as well as everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. See you next time.